Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making creativity and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Ms. Brooke Deneau. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Vincent, and hi to you, the listeners. All right. Yes, our lovely listeners who are listening to us for the 149th time. Ah. Wow, we're almost, we're on the cusp of 150 episodes. Like, that's kind of crazy. I, I We... Just as we hit our three-year anniversary, by the way, we crossed 70,000 downloads. I just want to point that out. So that was like a nice milestone to hit. So it felt really good. It was good. I was I was watching the stats like, when are we going to hit it? 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 And keep refreshing, refreshing. It was like, I caught it at 70,004. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to see that line of zeros, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's nice, but yet I, I didn't realize when I, I didn't realize that it was Memorial Day today and maybe I would have scheduled us to record tomorrow, but I mean, you know, NBD, like. It's okay. I'm thoroughly relaxed. Yeah. After this long weekend. So. Yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to going back to work for a couple of days. Like, it's just like, okay, really? I've been home enough. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, I tried something new this weekend that what I did, have never done before. What did you try this weekend that you've never done before? I did pewter casting and I have been, I was so I've always wanted to try casting pewter. Like it's just one of those things where it's like, apparently it's really easy to do. You can melt yeah. it very easily. And it has I've a really, been, really low melting point. Yeah. Apparently it's, you know, training wheels for learning how to do casting. Yeah. So I just went at it and I watched, I watched a video from the craftsman and he showed a material that you can get at Michael's that will survive having pewter poured in it. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Like yeah. th- this, is this, this should be good to just get started and see if I like doing it. So I'm like, but, but how, what do I get the mold from? And then I was like, okay, I have an idea. I have a ton of resin molds. It's like, what if I put resin in the mold, mm-hmm. then take the thing out of the mold and make the silicone mold with the thing I made in the resin mold? Because you can't pour the hot metal directly into the resin no, mold. No, It'll you destroy can't. it. But you can put resin in the silicone. So that's what I did. And it worked so well, and I can't believe it worked. I don't know why I can't believe it worked, but I've never seen anyone do it. <laughs> it's, always like, ex- it's always exciting when you try something new, and you're like, I think this is going to work. I think yeah. this is going to work. It worked. And the other, thing right. is, the other thing is cool is like I did four pours of this. Mm-hmm. Like I, It took me a couple to get the – because learning how to pour metal, not the same. Let Metal in liquid form is mm-hmm. not a liquid. <laughs> it doesn't work like a liquid. But what I love about pewter – is after I was done, I just poured the excess into a muffin tin and it's just, I'm going to use it again someday. Like that's it. It's done. Yeah. Like I, there's no it's waste. Cool. We've been, we've been dying to do that with um 3d prints where we can mm-hmm. 3d model, 3d print something, cast the 3d print and then do it in pewter. Mm-hmm. And actually specifically, I this is a really specific project that I don't think I'm prematurely sharing, but we really want to do coins like yes. fa- like fake money with my face and Michael's face on it because I could do the graphic <laughs> design for it like money with our faces and then we want to do a CNC routed treasure chest filled with them that's so stupid but for no, some reason genius. for some reason Michael and I have bounced around doing that project for the longest time this is <laughs> this is the kind of but that's the kind of fun project that I feel like I've been lacking like yeah like even playing with pewter this weekend, I feel like it's just the 
the whole idea of me just doing everything for clients. Like I, I, I told you the story. I jettisoned my biggest client, which I don't know if that was a good move or not. But now it's like my shop time is a little more free. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I can just pursue things I want to do. Yeah, now. we're we're really, really, really spoiled in that regard. <laughs> Michael and myself, where we, we, we do a lot of stuff for clients as well. But we get a lot of time where we can just do fun things. And mm -hmm. it's the best. Yeah, it's I'm 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 feeling like rejuvenated, like a, a little bit like the, the spark. I was telling someone. Was it Friday or Saturday? I was telling, I was talking to someone about about Pewter, and they were like, "You're you're very excited about this." Like, I haven't heard you like excited about something you're doing in a really long time. Like, and I'm like, "Yeah," and, and it's just a Pewter thing. It's not, I'm not the first person to do it, but it's something new. It's something interesting. Something I've always wanted to try. And if it fails, there's no consequence. It's like, oh, okay, just keep trying until it works. And mm -hmm. It's nice to not have a financial consequence for your failures. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, it makes it easier to be creative. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you're not sitting so. there beating yourself up if yeah. you fail. But yeah, it was it was definitely a good weekend, and I am very very excited because we are ending the weekend. We're ending the long holiday weekend talking yeah. to a close friend of mine, which is really really cool. Um, one of the things on this podcast we don't usually have people come back more than once unless their name is Dave Swiduck, who, by the way, will be on next week since it's episode 150. Which is my first time ever. I'm nervous about this. <laughs> I feel like there's pressure. Dave episodes are the easiest episodes ever because we don't even have, we have no idea what we're going to talk about and we could go for like two hours. Don't worry, okay. it'll be fine. Yeah, but what, if, but what if I'm in the mix and then it's just awkward silence? I'm well, just be like him and I have honestly, conversation. Then everyone can just blame me. Then I'll throw just... it to Brooke. I'll throw it to Brooke and ju just be dead air. Yeah. Or one word <laughs> answers. Or Ooh, you know. Vincent, should we plan this? Should we should we put him on the spot? <laughs> should we just just be really difficult to converse with <laughs> next week? <laughs> the problem is I've talked with him enough on the phone where it's like I know it was it's the same with you. Like you and I get on the phone and it's like <laughs> a three minute conversation turns into my entire drive to and from my shop. Like yeah, like, like with like your whole life story and like yeah. every oh like God. difficult thing that's happened in the last week. <laughs> there are things there are things that Brooke knows about me, people, that like I am so glad Brooke is my friend because holy crap, the blackmail material is No, you're you're charts. you're not you're not that scandalous, Vincent. Oh, okay. You're, you're not that scandalous. <laughs> I have to try harder then. I don't but anyway. know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this is it's funny how we started talking about the guests and we started talking about our own scandals. But yes, um, he is one of the few people who have ever been on this show more than once. Um, he's a good friend of mine and a co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, who I always call our sister podcast because we, well, we didn't necessarily start at the same time, but I feel like we kind of share the same mission. And that is the one and only Mr. Morley Kurt. Hi, Morley. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back. Be yes. back. The last time you were on, you were Yelrom blog. <laughs> yeah, a lifetime ago. And then a couple of weeks later, you had Jimmy on your podcast, and he didn't understand your name. And it was like, that was all it took. And all of a sudden, Yelrom blog became Morley Kurt. Yeah. That yeah, I'm very uh, susceptible to <laughs> big people's advice. And mm -hmm. I think at the time I was like, yeah, no, it was a long time coming. But, you know, that was a huge part of it. It yeah. was good, it was know, good advice, too. You don't yeah, need to was. be you don't need to be ashamed of that. I think there's a lot to be said for being flexible like that, where if people give input, not like like 
actually being open to hearing it and not just, you know, sticking your heels in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's happened? I mean, I love to say that nothing's happened, but you were on like a couple of years ago. So it's been a long time since we spoke to you. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, well, since we, since I spoke to you on this podcast, the other person on this podcast wasn't even on this podcast at the time. So that changed, you know, but what's changed with you since you were on last? Because man, you've gone, you've done a lot. (laughs) So when we last spoke, Mm-hmm. I think was in 2020. That's um, that's about right. Yes, I, I should have checked this before. And I was it. The I summer? should. I'll check too while you're okay. talking. I just so realized it was, it was about two years ago. Yep. And about six months before that, I had um, I was working in a engineering job. I had just graduated from civil engineering, and I got this job. I thought it was going to be. I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very wrong. And so I left Hmm. after three months and, you know, at that point I was making stuff, I was making videos, but I didn't really have like a clear goal. I just knew that like I was in the wrong spot and Mm -hmm. I had just come off of a summer of working at an off-grid lodge. It was incredibly hands-on. It was beautiful scenery. And like the contrast between these two was a larger contrast than you can imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, from there to the most sterile office environment. (laughs) And so I was like, this is not right. There's, I want to be hands-on. I want to be creative. And so I had, when I left that job, I had a lot to work on, you know, like I was making videos. I was really into leatherworking and I, I wanted to focus on that. And then I started opening myself up to what else is it that I could be doing? Like what, what, what might I want my future to be? And so I started looking into, industrial design. I started looking into working for scene builders, uh, mm-hmm. for, um, you know, prop makers and people who build scenery because Toronto where I live is a huge movie town. So around January, I think of 20. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now the timeline's coming along <laughs> in my head. So when I was on, because we make, mm-hmm. I think I had already started working at the scenery shop or maybe I had started and then COVID had hit. Yes. So I were I was working at the scenery shop, which was cool. Like I was into woodworking and I was getting more woodworking skills, but it was a very production heavy environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this huge install at a conference center and it, not a conference center, a convention center. And like, if you've ever been in a massive convention center, they're like the most dehumanizing places in the planet. Like yeah. no <laughs> natural air, no natural light. We were in there at like 11 PM, but it couldn't have been noon. And, you know, it was, it was good in money and it was good experience and I'm happy I did it. But then COVID hit and that slowed down. So I wasn't really sad that that ended. Mm-hmm. It was a good experience. And then as COVID picked up, um, I wanted more of a connection to the maker community. I started these weekly meetings called Makers on Zoom Having Coffee, which Vincent jumped right on. Um, <laughs> we, we started a Discord, which took off, which is still very, very active to this day. And... As like without work at the scenery shop, I just put a lot of time into leatherworking, into trying to make both my physical making and my YouTube making sort of into a business, but I didn't have a very clear vision at that point. And I was doing bicycle food delivery on the side to make some money. And it was great. It was really, really fun. Um, I, it was this really nice balance because like I would spend most of my time in the apartment. So like while this was happening, I was living in a one bedroom Toronto apartment basically tiny apartment workshop, 
little bit of woodworking, but mostly like leatherworking. And I started getting into 3D printing in 2020. And so it was a lot of like inside sitting down. And then I would do a shift whenever I wanted. And I'd just be able to like bike around Toronto, listen to music, sing to myself. And it was this really nice balance between like active work and working by myself. But eventually, even that felt like it was taking away from what I really wanted to be doing. It was like, Hmm. I felt like there was a similar feeling both at the scenery shop and doing Uber Eats, which was that I felt like a dumber version of myself. Like I wasn't, I wasn't do, I wasn't using the things that I wanted to be using. But at that point, I didn't really know what that was. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a mixture of skills. I had studied engineering. I, I could have gone back to an engineering job. And near the end of that year, I was considering that. And I started applying to positions. I didn't get the job that I thought I was going to get, which was, I'm sure that would have been a good experience as well. But that didn't end up happening. And then I was like, oh, I enjoy teaching. Um, I enjoyed being a TA when I was in university. Um, I enjoy like teaching through my YouTube channel. Maybe I want to be a teacher. And so I got a job at this basically STEM. Well, it's really STEAM. So STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math. The STEAM organization in the greater Toronto area called the STEAM Project, which is a fantastic organization. And I wanted to work there because they have a summer camp and I wanted to work with kids. And it's very hands-on. They have a makerspace. I could learn laser cutting. I could do 3D printing. It was It's a small business. I could learn from an entrepreneur. So it was kind of like a really solid gig. So 2021, March on that whole year, that was like a lot I was a lot of what I was doing. Um, I ended up sort of not by myself, but in part running one of their summer camp locations that summer. Um, it being a small business that is growing very quickly, um, they were like, "Hey, we know you. We hired you for an instructor position, but how would you like to run this camp?" <laughs> <laughs> so it was good. It was like yeah. I learned a ton, um, and I think one of the things I am most grateful in that job is just working next to an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur who's incredibly passionate about what he does for like a year, and mm. just seeing what he did, he, what he does, the type of decisions that he makes has been incredibly helpful. So we, we went through the summer. It was super busy. I didn't have a lot of time to make videos. Um, and then, you know, the summer ended. I stayed on to continue working. But at that point, I was like, I don't think I want to be a teacher. Um, I enjoy teaching, but like teaching is a career. And there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about that like aren't teaching. So like, mm-hmm. I love like making things and I love making videos. And like, I would have loved and I still would love if those two things could be my career. And I was like, I feel like I'm not going to be happy in the long run if this is what I focus on. Because it's, again, like Uber Eats, like the scenery shop, it would take all this time away from what I really wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I started, at that point, we were like, maybe I'll be a full-time employee here for the long haul. But I was like, listen, like, I, I need to start focusing on that. So I cut down in January of 2022, um, down to one day a week. And I'm going to be fully, we're not really cutting ties because it's a small business. I'll probably do some projects for them here and there, but come June, at least for a little while, hundred percent going to be focusing on my own things. And what those things are is I have been really putting my everything into content creation mm-hmm. and content creation around making, um, Cause I think I figured out in this 
two plus year journey that like that is the thing that I love. I, I did some commission work and it was fun and it was good. And I'm, I'm still doing like a little bit of commission work, but like making videos about making stuff and just making videos in general. Like yeah. I love doing that and it's um, it's gaining traction, which is super exciting. Yeah. It's been well, a very, very exciting month. It's been, it's been very apparent and this is, this may come out like wrong, but I'm just going to say it because you know, it's said with good intentions. The quality of your YouTube work is better than it's ever been. Um, there's just, it seems like, I know you're kind of in compared to your old output, you're kind of cranking them out now, you know, you're doing two videos a week, but it just feels like the videos themselves are just better videos. Like you're doing better content. And I wonder if that is you wanting to dive into it or just having more time to do it. Like uh, what do you think is the reason that there's been, there is a, a quantifiable quality leap in the last couple of months in your videos. So what do you think accounts for that? I think it's a few things. So one is that, like, like you said, about two months ago, I started feeling like my content felt sort of sterile. I think mm-hmm. at that time I was really into making sort of Laura Kampf style videos. So very editing to the music. Um, and I was doing voiceover here and there. But I didn't feel like a lot of my like personality and passion was in the videos. Mm-hmm. And I decided to try to make a video every day for five days. Which those were great videos too, by the way. Thank you. It was so much yeah. fun. But <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a very good partner to my my fiance Eden at the time. And it, we, we both, we both accepted it going in. I was like, listen, I'm going to be really busy. Like, just, just know that this is going to happen. So yeah. it had to wind down. But Mm -hmm. doing that just made me realize that one, I can make videos a lot faster than I thought I could. And I was putting in like unnecessary work. And it made me realize like where the work is valuable. Yeah. Because when you have that constraint on yourself, it's impossible to to even put something out if you're going to take like recording voiceover takes so long. And so I was like, I'm going to just do on camera speaking. And that ended up making my videos better, I think, because um, you're in them. Yeah, I'm in them. It's it's more exciting. There's stakes. Like if I don't know what's going to happen while I'm making something, then you're invested and you're like, how is he going to solve this? Mm. Or you say something where it's like, I'm going to do this and this is what's going to happen. And then it doesn't. It's like, whoa, plot twist. (laughs) Yeah. So that I think that was like. It was exactly what I wanted that experience to be. I was looking Mm -hmm. for like a short intensive experience like camp Mm -hmm. to inject something into my videos. And I think that did exactly that. Um, It's also been working at the Steam project and I've been doing content creation for them in 22. So for basically for the past five months, my role has changed to, I teach the woodworking class, which has been a blast Mm -hmm. because I get to hang out with 12 year old kids who all they want to do is make stuff out of wood. (laughs) And I do content creation for them and I've been doing a lot of interviews. So really needing to tell a story through that. So that has been a great learning experience. And I'm really happy that I stayed on to do that because I've learned so much through doing that. And I think one of the most helpful parts was I had no choice, but to get feedback from people Mm -hmm. through doing that. Cause like it's, it's their company. I'm putting Mm -hmm. out a video for their company. And so we went, we would go back multiple times with each video and, they would tell me things to change and it 
yeah, it allowed me to sort of depersonalize myself from the work a yeah. little bit. What kind of feedback did you get that stuck out to you? I think an on, so like a lot of the work in these videos was putting B-roll in. Cause mm-hmm. if you're doing an interview, like unless the person is incredibly interesting, you probably don't want to just stare at them talking for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of it was around just like the pacing of the B-roll and cutting it in. And that's probably come, it, it might not like be the first thing that comes to mind in my videos recently, but just figuring out like almost the subconscious effects of like where to put B-roll in a video and that you can cut a lot faster than you think. Um, That's, that's probably one that stands out. And it's also like, I do another podcast called into the spotlight with my friend Ryan and he's just make, he's made me more aware of cinematography because he comes from a filmmaking background. Yeah. And you know, if you're making videos with like not a lot of, colleague input like obviously you get inputs from like comments and friends and Mm -hmm. things but if you don't get input from like collaborators it's hard to like recognize where you genuinely can change things so some of them were just like you know i feel this sort of pressure to make videos condensed and short because it's youtube and like you want to like it should be it should be speedy it should be good um but sometimes it's really worth it to like fade to black or to or to like lay on a shot for a little bit. So like without getting too much into the weeds, I just think talking to him has also been helpful. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting. Like, like I, I also think especially on YouTube right now, because it's long form content, right. In relation to things like TikTok or like zippier things on Instagram, the cinematography thing's huge because if someone's going to sit and watch a long form video, you need to have the cuts be rhythmic and it needs to like make a viewer lean into it. So it's super interesting to hear you talk about that um, with with input from someone with more of a cinematography background um, and stuff. And then, and then also like, I think just hearing someone um, if you're, you know, sometimes, so here, like if I'm editing a video, right? Like uh, oftentimes Michael, my husband will film things and then he'll just give me the clips and tell me to edit it. I can edit his stuff so quickly. My stuff, I take a, a lot longer to edit because I think I'm more emotionally attached to it. So I think it's just interesting to hear that, um, split where, where hearing something from like, like someone that you're basically, basically they're paying you to edit it. It's just really helpful feedback sometimes because it depersonalizes it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're now doing, so you're now doing two videos a week. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you pace that out? Like, what does your week look like to make that possible? So currently I'm at the steam project on Wednesdays. And so I'm like, I, I'm treating Wednesdays like a foregone conclusion. Like I'm not going to be able to do anything on those days. And then we record clamp those evenings. So it's basically a sprint through that day and I'm not able to do anything else. <laughs> um, so I kind of just try to get one out before then and one after then. But honestly, I just try to, it's not a defined pace. Like, I think after doing the five videos a week, I was like, I can put them out more often. One video a day is too much, but I can probably do more than one video a week. Mm -hmm. And so this has just become a sort of natural pace for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of the actual like production schedule, um, most of my videos were ideas not long before the video came out. And so like we talked about this on Clamp recently where Grant said like he has too many ideas and not enough Mm -hmm. time to like execute them. But I don't feel like I have a surplus of ideas. I feel like I get an idea. I'm like, okay, awesome. I'm going to do that right now. And that's, I think, probably, (laughs) I hope it comes through in my videos because I'm excited about it in the moment. Um, So, yeah, I think 
pretty much right now, especially for the 3D printing videos, because they don't take very long compared to a woodworking project. I can probably do like start to finish in two days. And for this video I put out today, it was like one day because um, <laughs> there wasn't, there was no waiting for glue to dry. There wasn't really waiting for anything. It was relatively simple. And I knew how to edit it after, after um, all this experience there's, but it's, before we move on, there's one other, I think major thing I wanted to talk about around why my videos may have gotten better. And I think I've just been sort of looking at the state of YouTube and my own videos a little more critically. And that like, when I go on my YouTube homepage, yeah. I see stories and I see very compelling headlines. And I started thinking like, I don't feel like, you know, um, making a leather bound book as a title. Oh, that's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> you know, DIY modern bed, for example, yeah. coming from me, who's not known for DIY modern beds. Yeah. I don't feel like that's a very compelling video on YouTube. I want to see like a story. And I, I think realizing that and sort of trying to buy into yeah. that and make videos around that has helped a lot. I, I love that you said that because I think that the standard build video that used to be the bread and butter of the maker community just isn't, I think it probably works great for some people, but like you said, in the landscape of YouTube, I don't know that it's as compelling as it used to be by and large, um, you know, for, for, cause there's just, there's so many DIY modern beds. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't want to speak to anyone else's videos. There. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying. I'm trying to say this so gently because I don't want to be no, like a hater. There's plenty, because of, peop there's plenty people, of people who do it well, but people people yeah. kick butt doing it, so it's not even <laughs> hating well, on I, it. I think there's a certain amount of, but even you know, not you don't have to. It doesn't mean you're calling anyone out specifically. There is a certain amount of truth to it, right? There's there's only so many. I mean, we are going to hit, and I think it was um it was either Bob or Jimmy or David was talking about this on making it either this week or last week where they were mm -hmm. talking about how we've kind of hit almost a saturation point where yeah. it's like even if you're doing the same thing how many times can we do the same thing over and over again before it's like no one's people are just gonna go i have seen that <laughs> so many times i'm not even a little bit interested in it anymore yeah and i don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing because it's gonna force creators in particular to just be a little more selective in what they choose to make or, you know, if they want to be more teachy instead, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So like, I think the how to sort of DIY style videos obviously have a huge place on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I sort of realized with my own strengths and my own content is like, okay, 3d printing is becoming incredibly common, mm -hmm. but so many people don't know how to do 3d design. Yeah. And that's it right there. Yeah. yeah. So like I would I would post like a short clip of making something on Reddit and people's minds would be blown. They're like, how did you design this? Like, what is this program? And I was to myself, I was thinking like, wow, this is like relatively simple. Um, but I also studied engineering and I right. was a teaching yeah. assistant for our design drafting class. And I I was really into learning Fusion 360. So I think realizing that and that there's a bit of a gap there was incredibly helpful. Yeah. It's another thing that I think that you do a really phenomenal job representing with 3D printing um, is, is I think too often 3D printing gets a reputation for, for like, oh, I can print an action figure. Cool. Like it's a thing that's neat. But um, 
I think like with the typewriter that you did, where it's like you fixed it with 3D printing, I think that that is really where 3D printing shines and why it's cool. It's like you can make a part, you know, that is is pennies in in material that can that can solve a problem. It's not just about making an octopus. <laughs> which, like, which, like, people's which actually people's knee-jerk um, example is the octopus. <laughs> the freaking octopus. Which, which I'm not knocking the octopus. The octopus is cool, but I don't think toy. I don't think that it showcases the power of 3D printing and why no. we we should care about it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we had Tom on last week. When we had Tom on last week, when we talk, we were talking about 3D printing. I mean, he's basically generating a whole business from a single product via 3D printing. You know, the, the power of this technology to do more than just get tchotchkes from Thingiverse and, and Thangs and all the other sites that are out there. It's like, yeah, this is a whole other ball game. Like it's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've been, so I got my first 3D printer in 2017. And mm-hmm. so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more treated like the microwave than I am treated like the really <laughs> cool piece of technology that it is. Yeah. But even to this day, like something that I've had for so long and something that's just been like such a part of my, I mean, it was the first foray for me into the maker community was 3d printing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I still to this day go, Oh no, that's really cool that I could 3d print it. Like the corner jig, right? Uh-huh. I've always wanted to make one, but I don't trust my own math and my own cutting well enough to make that jig. But I knew that if I 3d printed it, it would be, be perfect, perfect for the most part. And it's like, wow, you know, and it didn't, it's not a complicated design. It just took a few iterations. And wow, 3D printing, like even this this fidget spinner that I'm holding in my hand right now is 3D printed. You know, I have so many 3D printed things around my apartment that I don't even think about anymore because it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's just 3D printing. I need to make a thing. I make a thing. But mm-hmm. you had the advantage of understanding Fusion 360 really yeah. well. And I think that's one of the things that comes through in your 3D printing videos is, is that your understanding of the application is a lot better than most of the 3d printing videos I've watched where it's like, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And you're, you're just kind of explaining it, yeah. but your flow as you're doing it is you look more purposeful. Excuse yeah. me. Hold on. We have Morley Kurt on. You look more intentional <laughs> when you're moving around fusion 360. Yeah. It's cause and, you're an engineer. Yeah. And it's like, I, <laughs> 100%. So fun, fun fact, I was designing something for my customers and I actually Morley did a screen share with me to help me iron out oh, how yeah. to make it parametric. And I was like, Do you know what? And Sorry, I know Fusion got... 360 reasonably well, but then he came on. I'm like, God damn, I don't know anything about Fusion 360. <laughs> like you know, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I have a question actually, Morley, when you teach kids, do you ever, t- have you ever taught kids um, like 3d modeling in any capacity either? Um, if you call 18 year olds kids, then yes. Okay. They count um, as kids. But... They count as kids. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so I mean, in woodworking, no. I mean, those are mostly twelve-year-olds, and we're mostly doing wood stuff. I but yeah, tot- teaching teaching to you know, first year and second year university students was super helpful. Yeah, so like I, I I don't know if you know this, but my the first half of my career, basically until pre pre pandemic, I used to teach middle schoolers in a makerspace. I was like that was what I did, and I swear that it is the best crash course in how to explain things <laughs> and how to make things and things like that. And and if you want to really understand a three D modeling program, like obviously learn it yourself, but then like showing other people how to do something is yeah. the best way to master something yourself. Yeah. Because it forces you to think about it in a really simple way um, well, I think and it was, convey it to someone else. I think it was you on Clamp this week that was saying that the best way 
to really get comfortable with something like Fusion 360 is to have a project in mind, to not just try yeah, to pick yeah. it up and look at a blank screen and go, all right, let me just do this. Oh, look, I'm starting to have the shape of something. No, start with something you want to make in mind and go at it until you have the thing. And I love that philosophy because that will get you pretty far. It's not going to get you everywhere. It's going to get you pretty far to after you're comfortable doing stuff like that, then you take your course. You take your, you know, I always talk about um, Desktop Makes Vladimir Mariano's um, course in Fusion 360 because I think it's, if you're into 3D printing, it's one of the best 3D printing Fusion courses ever. But, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of content out there, but it's just, it's, it's incredible how much you can learn to kind of give yourself at least a little bit of a familiarity first. And then you move on to like, oh no, I need this, this shelf bracket that they, they, you know, like for, I've seen so many refrigerator parts. I don't know what it is about refrigerator <laughs> parts, but like, I've seen like, there's, um, there's a certain hinge that closes a flap on a double doored refrigerator hmm. that breaks on every single one. And I watched Joel Telling did a whole video on how he modeled one for his own kitchen. And it's like, this is absolute genius. Like, yes, this is the promise of 3D printing right here. Not having <laughs> to call, you know, Whirlpool and get your new hinge flap. <laughs> so. Yeah. And uh, I think it was like Honda recently is trying to crack down on that. Yeah, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> because they don't want you. See, the thing is, they don't want you doing this. That Ford is the only company I think I've seen that, you know, doesn't. 3D print that actually embraced it with the new really yeah what well, was yeah. Adam a stockholder <laughs> yeah <laughs> no me, so fun fact Ford was the yeah. first stock I bought and no university, way so I have this irrational no attachment to them because I was like they were the one I bought to learn about stocks <laughs> yeah oh, actually wow. it was in it was in my original stock portfolio as well because <laughs> I was awesome. like I don't know it was like it was like what kind of car do my does my dad drive the most popular Ford. truck in the world I'll yeah. buy. <laughs> that's that one's for me we did the stock market game yeah. in junior high school and you know what i did uh, so junior high school so for that's for you know you youngins that was for yeah. me from 1988 to 1990 okay and you know what my stock was what philip morris huh and i made a that's killing. a cigarette company right yeah it sure is yeah. and i made a killing i was yeah. like our team was like one of the best i did philip morris and i did um i think i did exxon yeah, like I did, wow. the, like I did two of the so, most toxic things heartless. in the universe. <laughs> yeah, oh. this is this is so unrelated. But my degree is actually in finance, and and to this day, I have like a beef with Netflix because I was we and one of my like like you know like four hundred level classes we were supposed to do we were we were like balancing stock portfolios and I was crushing it with Netflix stock because like this was back a bit so it was a little bit of a quirky stock to have had and I was crushing mm -hmm. it and then it tanked right right before the end of the semester anyway <laughs> I just I just really needed to air that out right now on the podcast you feel do you feel better I, I feel better. Well, they paid for it recently. Their stock tank too. Yeah. That, was Brooke, that was Brooke Karma just like, Brooke just sending all the karma and juju at Netflix. Yeah, it's fine. So now that, you're, now that you've kind of settled into a groove, is this, I know this is a loaded as hell question for anyone that's making content and a maker, but is this, is this where you're going to be for a while, you think? Or yeah. is it going to be... I'm going to do this for 30 seconds until I'm bored with it. And then I'm going to jump around and do something else. Like, how do you see yourself progressing now? Do you see yourself kind of, I'm going to 3D print everything in my apartment until it's fixed? 
Or is it going to be like, no, nah, I'm going to probably just bounce around like a madman for a little while? Well, I mean, in the macro, I'm like super happy right now. Um, mm-hmm. And just in just terms of like making content successfully, like this is kind of all I want right now. Um, I love I love the pace of YouTube. I love the independent freedom of it, of just being able to like make stuff and share my passion and people want it. Like that's been one of the most exciting things in the past few months is like, I it just finding more people who really enjoyed my videos. And I'm like, great. Mm-hmm. I do I have videos for you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. You open up your you open up your coat and there's videos yeah. hanging on it. You, um, you, but it's funny. So um after Vincent last week said leaked to the fact that I was coming on this episode, we were we were messaging and you you mentioned that you really like how my channel has pivoted. And in like the direction of 3D printing, I was like, it's funny that you say that because my next video that's going to come out isn't 3D printing. (laughs) It was a woodworking video. It was making this desk. And so there was a little like worry in the back of my head where it's like, okay, I have all these new people. Maybe all they want is 3D printing. And I had nothing but growth from it. I had like two unsubscribers, but for the most part, you know, it didn't perform as great as the 3D functional 3D printing videos as recently, but I was like, cool. Like there's a lot of people that really like me making stuff and the style of things that I do. Um, But in terms of like, you're right. It is a loaded question. It's very difficult to answer. I'm finding (laughs) it very difficult to think more like more than like a week in advance at the moment or like a month. Um, But I love 3D printing. It obviously has its limitations. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's going to solve everything you know, in my latest video, like it was a fix. And I already got comments where people were like, was was truly expecting you to fix this toaster oven with 3D printing. And like, <laughs> I think they were already laughing going into it there because I was pointing to the open toaster oven and they were thinking, how is this going to melt inside? Not going to lie, had the same thought. Yeah. You know, it's also funny. I'm just going to tell you just up front. So you put the magnets in the in the door and I'm like, that's not going to work. I literally in my head, I go, that's not going to work. But I'm curious to see because maybe I'm wrong. And you're like, I love the demo you did. Like as it's getting warmer, the door is just drooping a little more, a little more like it's yeah. not holding. I'm like, wow, that, that okay, so it didn't work. So now what? <laughs> that that was the funny part. Like that's the pivot we were talking about earlier where it's like, you know, with doing, you know, voiceover morally would have just been able to cut all that out and go, but this didn't work. So we mm-hmm. pivoted. But, you know, you did this whole thing. It's like, this worked. Now let's test it. Oh, no, it didn't work. And I'm like, oh, no, now what? Like, yeah. Dun, dun, you know? And I was genuinely bummed in that moment because, like, I told Misha, my brother-in-law, like, yeah, I have the perfect fix for it. It's going to be great. Give me your toaster oven. I got this. And then <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I was I was seriously considering just, like, giving it back to him. Be like, sorry, I can't fix this. But I um, love I love yeah. when you I love when you're reading the specs for the magnets and I'm thinking like yeah I think and in my head I'm like yeah it's something like 400 degrees and you're like it's 120 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that I'm like zero <laughs> percent it? chance it's gonna work. like there's no way in hell like I thought like maybe there's a snowball's chance to just you know it's far enough from the heating element it's through a layer of nope <laughs> nope just but that's that's the fun I think that's the fun that's lacking in a lot of videos too like. I, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the channels I started watching recently, um, and I, David Picciuto talks about them all the time, is Donut Media, which I never watched their videos. Like, I had no interest. I'm not really a car guy. I like cars. You know, um, in June, I go, there's a 
there's a car show in Greenwich that I love going to because they show all the high-end cars and it's just a wonderful time, but I'm more in there for the experience than the cars themselves. And I watch Donut Media's videos and it's like, these videos are amazing. Like there's like plot twists and humor and it's like breaking tools and having a good laugh and junk products. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm not really in it for the car part of it. I'm in it for the, like you mm-hmm. were saying earlier, the story. The story comes through the video. Yeah. And I like that you had a story with this video. And I like that you showed the uh, propping of it with the wooden spoon. Yeah. Like, I, I love the whole background of why this needed to be fixed. And it's, it was just good. It was a good video. It was solid. So that's what I want. To, that's what I want into the future is to continue mm-hmm. making story-based videos. And like, I don't know if I can say that like I want to be a filmmaker because um, I don't I don't really identify with that. I'm really happy that there's this established trope of like a maker content creator and that this, this thing exists that I can do Yeah, because mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable and happy in this space. But I also like, you know, I've been really enjoying Van Neistat and Casey Neistat and like I mentioned in the lead up to the making five videos a day thing, like Mm. the most entertained I've ever been on YouTube was like the daily vlogs made by Corridor Crew or Corridor Digital or Freddie Mm -hmm. W, all those guys. And Mm -hmm. exactly like you said, you know, their main channel was all about VFX and like, you know, first person action shorts, which were cool. But I just loved seeing like all the hijinks they're up to and having like Nerf Nerf Wars and stuff in their apartment. Like it's entertainment. Like that is very heavily on the side of entertainment. I mm-hmm. think, I don't know, at least, I don't think right now I could genuinely create entertainment in that same way. I just don't think that's like where I'm at in my skill set. But maybe mm-hmm. one day it will be more entertainment. And that sounds right. like a great time. Yeah, sure. And you have, you got to just keep trucking along and making videos too, because sometimes you don't exactly. really even know what's what it's going to be and where inspiration is going to strike. But you have to keep yourself going because it's a muscle. The yeah, creativity is a muscle, you know. You had your first million uh, million view video. Yeah. So congratulations! Congratulations on on one of the most not for nothing, but like this is what I love about your channel, right? Like because you know. <laughs> It's just one of the most random freaking things that yeah. you could ever imagine making a video about. I had a lot and of people um, commenting saying, I have no idea how I got here. Now I'm watching a video about a vintage punch clock. Like what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that haven't seen it, um, he, he, by the way, great title. I think, I, want... I, I think it's the title. I think the oh, title yeah. is the, the title. title's the money. <laughs> they wanted $100. I 3d printed it for nine cents and he's holding up this little piece of red plastic, mm-hmm. which ended up being the gear that advanced the ribbon in an old school punch clock. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is, this is amazing. Like I, I, I watched it. I saw it. I was eating breakfast when I was watching it. So you had just dropped it and I'm watching this going, huh, this is a bold video to release. <laughs> and then I'm watching the count on this video every once in a while. I'll just see it. And it's like, <laughs> it's got a million views on this. Like what the hell? How do you get a million views on that? That's amazing. What, how do you feel that? So my question is really, how do you feel that that's your million view video, right? Like you've done some crazy, beautiful, interesting stuff. And then not that this isn't interesting, right? But there's no way in hell if if I threw all the thumbnails at you and said, which of your videos is a one million view video? You'd go, oh, clearly a sprocket for an old punch clock. Like, yeah. How do you feel about How does that make you feel like? It's funny. I asked the same question to Andrew Zito when we had him had him on our podcast. So mm-hmm. his 
now it's well over a million views video is um, basically a compilation of building an A-frame cabin. Mm -hmm. But the rest of his videos are more like building woodworking projects out of recycled skateboards. Mm -hmm. And he said, he says, I feel great. It's awesome. And I feel very (laughs) similarly because it's like, you know, to have a video get to a million views is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I'm really happy that I came up with that title, but I'm also like, there was a lot of that that was outside of my control and things just worked in my favor. So like, you know, I have nothing but gratitude for that. Um, I'm, it was incredibly timely because the theme of that video was a functional 3d printed fix. Mm-hmm. And okay. So let me tell the story of this a little bit. Cause this is yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, tell story. So I put out this video on April 20th and right out the gate, it had a click through ratio, which was way higher than anything I put up before. So pe- for people who aren't making videos for YouTube, the click through ratio is basically the percentage of people who are watching your videos compared to the amount of people that YouTube has showed it to. So if YouTube yep. shows your people, if YouTube shows your video to a hundred people and 10 watch it, then your click-through ratio is 10%. So right out the gate, this click-through ratio was huge. And the click-through ratio essentially determines how your video will do into the future, you know, combined with how long people watch it for and things that I don't know. But as far as I know, that's a really important metric. And I was like, mm-hmm. amazing, this video is going to blow up. And mm-hmm. it was also a, a angle that I had never really taken before with a video. Like very, some might say clickbaity, very leaning into the story. Um, and so I was like, awesome, this is going to be great. And it did well because that click through ratio was high and YouTube showed it to the same amount of people that it normally would, but it didn't take off. And I was like, wow, I guess I just called it wrong. Mm -hmm. And it sort of chugged along for like 10 days. And then right about, I think at like day 10, the curve just started shooting up and when you, when you make content, you start to become like very familiar with your analytics. And I saw it, I was like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just didn't stop. Yeah. And pretty soon I was like, wow, this is going to get 100,000 views. And then I was like, wow, this might hit 300,000 views. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope this goes to a million. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, even before that, I was like, you know, it's amazing how quickly your expectations shift. Once mm-hmm. it was getting to like, the the six digits, I was like, oh, okay, I want this to hit a million. And I almost didn't really allow myself to like celebrate the fact that it had done so well. Like I was already sort of moving on to the next goal. So I'm really happy that it did in the end. Mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I probably moved on to the next milestone in my head a little too early. We all do that though. I mean, even even like, you know, I'm lo- I look at my Instagram, you know, I hit I hit the day I hit two thousand on Instagram, I'm like I, I can't wait to hit 2,500 and 3,000 and 10,000, you know, it's like, it's going to be a long grind and whatever, but it's, you know, it's, you're immediately, you're, you, you get your goal and you're like, this is awesome. Or you do better than you say, this is awesome. It's like, okay, what's next? Like we, we don't even, none of us, yeah. I think we're all guilty of that. We don't savor that moment at all anymore. It's just like, okay, cool. But next I've been, metric. I've been really trying like this month, um, mm-hmm. Because I've been working at this like for so long, for like, I don't know, five years or something now, like making videos for this channel. And and it, the weather is getting beautiful and I've been getting really into skateboarding. So I've been making like a conscious effort to like really get out every day and give myself a bit of rest and like mm-hmm. go to the skate park every day and, you know, splurge on that tool that I wanted, splurge on getting myself a coffee versus just making it at home. Um, and the thing that I was scared about when this happened was that like, 
I've had videos do like marginally well before. Mm -hmm. And every time before that, it's been mostly a flash in the pan. You know, the video spikes and then your channel keeps chugging along the same that it did. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I think at a certain point I started thinking, is this going to hold? But then it was, it became clear that it was a paradigm shift. So again, very grateful. So how do you, how do you, I was going to ask, that was something I was going to ask because you, you do a 1 million, a 1 million view video, right? And all right, it took you 10 days to get there. So you, you release a couple in the meantime, you know, after that one, but you know, then you're at your videos go to like more of a, you know, a little less in the stratosphere to like, you know, 20, 25,000. Does that, how does, how does that feel now? Because you're like, oh, I really thought that this was going to be the one and just like drag me to a new plane. Whereas it's like, okay, that was a spike and I got a bump. You did get a subscriber bump. Your subscribers went up quite a bit after that video. Um, in fact, they've gone up what well, you were at like 11,000 and now you're at 21,000. So. I was at 5.6 thousand. Oh, you're only at five. Th- I thought you were at 11. Okay. So yeah, so you're at 5,000. Now you're at 21,000. So you've gotten a nice bump lately. Yeah. But how does it, how did, yeah. How does that feel to kind, so of, it, kind of go back to normal, so to speak? I haven't gone back to normal. It has been a full on <laughs> paradigm shift. So okay. basically like I was scared that it was going to just go back to normal, mm-hmm. but I think I think the reason is because this video started blowing up as I was continuing to make similar videos. And so YouTube was like, awesome. We're going to just send these to more and more people. So right around the time that that video like was taking off, YouTube started showing my newer videos to the same amount of people it used to show it to in a week, in a day. Mm -hmm. And I was and like, everyone was more than the last. Um, so, so you're you know, I, I haven't put out a million view videos since then. I honestly feel like none of the videos I've put out since then would or I deserve to is not a good word because it sounds like I'm really judging myself, but I honestly feel like they're not as compelling as that one and they probably wouldn't make it to that. Um, I think on balance, your typewriter series, anything you do with that typewriter is going to have a big long tail i really do i don't know there's something about those videos where i was like those are the videos where it's like there's a guy and i was it's funny because i the reason i'm thinking about this i just resubscribed to a channel that i used to watch years ago called mighty jabba's workshop and all he's obsessed with jabba the hut the most random thing in the world to be obsessed with but the guy and if you've not watched his channel there are four it's i think it's Looking back at it, there's only four videos in the playlist, so I guess it was only four videos. But he made a life-size Jabba the Hutt 3D printed. Mm -hmm. So he 3D printed segments of Jabba the Hutt and pieced them together in his basement and made a full-sized, screen-accurate Jabba the Hutt. And it was just such a incredibly compelling thing to watch. And I was watching all this other Star Wars stuff that I really don't care about because I don't really care about Star Wars. But... I was really, really into this stuff. And that was, that's his long tail, right? Like people were still going to go like, oh, I want to see the, the life-size 3D printed job of the hut because it's like, yeah. it's, it's a unique thing. I really do think that, that, that this typewriter is one of those things because I, I don't know, do you have any more projects with that or is it just, it's working now and that's it? I've been loving using it. I was it's making so some stories beautiful. today. So, <laughs> so when I got it like working really well, I basically, um, soaked everything in mineral spirits so if Mm -hmm. you get an old typewriter apparently you're not really supposed to oil it because the oil will attract dust Mm -hmm. but if you brush everything down with mineral spirits that sort of like dissolves the grime and then you can add a little bit of light oil um 
but I, I've done that very sparingly, if at all. So once it's been working well and I got a new ribbon, I wrote a letter, I wrote a letter to my parents around the same time <laughs> that the time clock video was blowing up. Oh, and wow. you know, my my parents, when I went to school for engineering, expected me to become an engineer. Not like it was foisted upon me, but that's sort of like what they assumed that I would be doing. And so when I sort of threw that out the window, it definitely, especially my mom sort of like took her by surprise. And we've been on our own journey these last two years of them or her understanding what it is that I'm doing and coming to support it. Okay. And so I, I sort of took this as an opportunity to really like lay out exactly what it is that I'm doing, why I'm excited about it, and why this growth is like important and exciting for me. Yeah. And I felt like a World War II soldier, like writing home to his family. And it was such a satisfying experience. Yeah. And I was like, I can see why. So, you know, part of the reason I bought this typewriter is because of Van Neistat, because in his videos, mm -hmm. he's like, the typewriter is this amazing thing and it's so satisfying to use. And I love old vintage gizmos and gadgets. And the time clock video took off. So I was like, I will 100% buy another old gadget. Um, and I was like, I see this so much. And so I've started sort of like journaling with it. And it's it has it gives you more of a motivation to journal because it's more fun. And you can do mm -hmm. it like the same speed as a computer keyboard. So it's definitely becoming a part of my life. And I think my videos for the most part are things that are a part of my life. And so I think the more that I use it, those ideas will come. I have one idea, but I hesitate to put too much like 3D printed modifications to it because it's so old and beautiful that I don't yeah. really want to take away from that. So yeah, something like the feet that you don't see, it's a different yeah. story. But and you even those, I wish I bought like black TPU because like that was just the first roll that I bought and it really does stand out. I might mm -hmm. replace them one day, but you know, the contrast for the video is great. Same with mm -hmm. the red PLA. Um, but I, so yeah, I more see myself like maybe getting other vintage machines or gizmos in the future. I think Dave Bauer was joking about that. He was like, everyone just send Morley your, your old <laughs> machines to, so he can fix them. You know, I was very tempted before I moved, before I moved to this apartment, I was very tempted to send you my old KitchenAid because there's a plastic part Believe it or not, in a $325 stand mixer, the part that keeps the top from popping up when it's when it when the beater is moving is actually just a plastic hook. Oh wow. And I really wanted to send it to you. Oh, that'd be a I great could, video. It, it would take me for <laughs> you know what? I, that's something you should make out of metal, right? Because then you're actually improving it. Right. Exactly. Ooh, pewter. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if pewter would be quite the right pick, but <laughs> That would be a that'd be an interesting video. Actually, it's funny because you know, and, and the, I'm struggling now. Like, I bought this um, jeweler's drill press for my jewelry shop. Um, it's a really small drill press. It goes up to like 8,500 RPMs. Like, it's a really it's a wild little machine. Like, it, it's so powerful, and it's just it's really really cool. And they give you the chuck key, and the chuck key literally is just here's the chuck key. There's no place on the drill press to like attach the chuck key. And there's not enough mm. metal to like do it magnetically. And I am so tempted to get another one and send it to you and be like, hey, can you, you know, we'll do like morally fixes my problem with 3D <laughs> printing because I've tried to model something with Fusion and I came up with something and it was like, this would be okay, but I'm sure there's a more elegant way to do this. Like just something I could hang the Chuck key. Like even my Craftsman drill press had a thing on the side where I could just click the, the Chuck key into it. This thing is a 
Mm-hmm. It's annoying, actually. It's annoying that they didn't do this on a machine that I spent as much as I did for it, you know? But yeah. this and is that could also printing be, is. Like, that's sort of one part, one thing where Fusion and other 3D modeling sort of like fall short in that mm-hmm. if you're not like incredibly proficient at it, it can mm-hmm. be hard to to model some, to make your idea reality. Yeah. And that would, that's what I think is the future of CAD is eliminating those like barriers of making that thing in your head a 3D model. Like totally. one day we're going to have holograms and it'll all be touchscreen because to go through the parameters and to sketch things out and to figure out the right tool to use and the right order that you have to use them is like the real and barrier why kids don't know how to 3D model things. What's really yeah. funny is as I was modeling it, as I was experimenting with different things, what I was finding, because I, like I said, I know Fusion 360 reasonably well. I definitely don't know it as well as you do. I'm not even, I'm not in your league, but I know it well enough to be competent, Right. And I was designing this thing and I'm like, wow, order of operations is really important with Fusion 360. Mm -hmm. Like more so than any other program I've ever used. Like I use Illustrator in my daily work all day long. I'm very competent. But when it comes to Fusion 360, one misstep breaks everything after it. And it's like the only way to fix it is to just erase everything on the timeline back to the mistake and start over. I feel like most of the time, I feel like a lot of, I feel like most 3d modeling software is like that, but I I know what you're saying about fusion three, six fusion three sixty Vincent. Have you ever tried shaper 3d and do you have an iPad with an Apple pencil? Okay. Yes. And yes. Okay. Um, the only reason I even paid for it for a year. Yeah. The only reason I don't still have it is just because it's too expensive. Um, ah, what's the price for it now it's like 249 for a year okay oh, wow. and i just i had it i paid for it for a year because i like it i really do i think it's fantastic i actually think it's as a modeler it's actually better than fusion 360 i don't know yeah i, I, yeah, I mean I f- finish your thought for, for like from scratch right if i if yeah. i didn't sit there and just if i want to just it's almost like the ability to doodle in 3d like right i feel like it's more mm-hmm. user-friendly and approachable yes it's kind of like it's kind of like Tinkercad, but with like you know Mark McGuire level of steroids. You yeah, know, but like, also you sketch and draw, so it's a little yeah. bit more in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Rather than Fusion 360, like I'm a horrible drawer. I'm much more comfortable doing like digital stuff. So Fusion True. feels okay-ish. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really liked it. I just it was just too expensive for me. But yeah, I think like that's much more my understanding of 3d modeling fits the shaper 3d paradigm than fusion 360 unfortunately fusion 360 has the advantage of everyone freaking uses it so if you're stuck you can find someone that knows how to fix it in fusion 360 and can give you five different ways to do better than what you just did wait a minute does shaper 3d you can use a free version of shaper 3d vincent it only gives it only gives you two canvases yes but if you export it but you can't export a high, like a high, a high res. Um, you can't, yeah, you can't do like did a high polygon that? count one. Yeah. Which that's the killer, mm. right? Because I did, if okay. you remember a couple, was it last year or the year before? I mean, I needed to make a flower pot for my Venus flytrap. And you told me I should get Shaper 3D. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll get oh, Shaper 3D. And I'm I modeled just... it and it looked great. And then when I went to print it, it looked, it looked like a bolt, ah. like a nut rather. Because okay, it was okay. just all the sides were like, there wasn't that, any refinement. That's a change. I also love yeah. the sentence of I needed to 3D print a flower pot for my Venus flytrap. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no a very current year. it's a very current year thing to say, for sure. <laughs> it was a real predicament you found yourself in there (laughs) what am i gonna do my venus flytrap needs a flower pot and it's like the store is all the way over there like no let me spend six hours printing it on my 700 (laughs) dollars oh i've been there yeah 
Yeah. So I actually, one of the things I, one of the things that you and I have in common is we have the exact same 3d printer mm-hmm. and I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people and, you know, I don't begrudge people who buy cheaper 3d printers, but I almost feel like, I don't know, like I've had a lot of 3d printers. This is like my sixth 3d printer, but it's also my last 3d printer. And I haven't needed to replace it. I've had this one now for holy crap. I've had it for four years. I just realized I've had it for four years. And I have feel like no need to change it out. Do you, when I tell people that the Prusa experience is just different, I'm assuming you've used other 3D printers too. Would you say that that's accurate <laughs> or am I probably too much of a fanboy? I actually haven't used a lot of other printers. The Really the only other ones I've used are at the Steam Project. So they have a bank of, they're called Flash Forge Finders. They're okay, very, yeah cheap and they're kind Mm -hmm. of made for an education environment so they're that kind of like skeleton box shape Mm -hmm. um and they have got an incredible amount of mileage out of those in in the quality is really good so like they'll they'll have a print farm going and make parts for their 3d printed um kits and things and honestly some of the things they make print quality wise are better than things that i make on my printer however i don't know if that's because the printer is better or it is because I don't put a lot of time into like optimizing my print settings. I've never done anything with my print settings. I literally use generic PLA for every PLA that goes in and yeah. just prints perfectly. It's so annoying because it's making me lazy. And I'm worried that if I ever got another printer now, it would be like, I don't know how to 3D print anything anymore. Like I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. And so it has a lot of features that like I talk to other people that have 3D printers that I'm really happy I have it. Like the removable bed, mm-hmm. um, the auto detecting of when your filament runs out, being able to like do multiple works every time. The yeah. power failure detection works every time. Although I will say it's not a super useful feature because one time we did lose power while I had a print going mm-hmm. and the worst. it, we lost power for long enough that the bed cooled and the print detached from the bed. So like oh. I couldn't print it from that point. So it only would really help if you lost power for a really short amount of time. Oh, wow. I ne- I never had it go that long and now I actually keep it on a battery. So it doesn't there happen. There you go. Anymore, That's but- a- yeah, to lose like a 12-hour print just because you lose power for half an hour would be rough. I have a 15-hour print that I'm just nervous about printing because I don't have a lot of PLA left. And someone asked me to print something that's a 15-hour print. And I'm like, I could do it. Like, it'll fit on the bed. But ooh, the idea of printing a 15-hour print just, you know, I haven't done anything that long in a really long time. It's nerve-wracking. Yeah. It's as I like to call on this podcast, a butt clench moment. <laughs> So I really like it. Um, I also was recently sent the Snapmaker A three fifty T. I am so excited to see what you think. Yeah. So that is a that is a combination CNC three D printer and laser cutter, and the print mm-hmm. volume is huge. It's yeah. really. By the way, that was what I was. So you put it in your stories. Like, was it yesterday or yeah. the day before? Yeah. I was like, whoa, that's a lot of. I had no idea that the space on the bed was as big as it is. That's impressive. Yeah, it's like over a foot in each direction, like 300, yeah. 330 millimeters. Um, so I'm, and that's the main feature that I wanted in a new 3D printer. I, I was saying like a while ago, if I ever get a 3D printer, I'm just going to get something that's bigger because I do, mm-hmm. f- with the type of 3D printing that I do, sometimes I find myself like maxing out the build volume. Yeah, that's so, why I got my CR10 all those years ago because it was so, there was so much print print volume and ended up throwing that print literally throwing that printer through the window in my house out into my yard because i couldn't take it anymore but yes yes i completely agree in fact i was very excited when prusa said they were making 
um, a bigger i3. I'm like, yes, please. Bigger. Oh, nice. Yes. yes. So yeah, I, I really like it. And if there are the problems that it does has, like sometimes it just crashes a lot. Um, you can fix that by just turning crash detection off. I, <laughs> I probably could chalk up to the fact that I built it myself. Like I bought the kit and put it together and there's probably a couple mistakes that I made. But for the most part, it's been great. I'm very happy with it. Um, you, were, bef- you were brave. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, though, there's there's one other thing I wanted to mention about an earlier question where you were, you were asking, like, what has happened that has changed the um, quality of my videos? And I think a big part of that, which Vincent, I'm sure you'll relate to, is going to therapy has been, hmm. I think, had a good impact on that. So Interesting. Elaborate. I, yeah. So while <laughs> I started making videos, like if I go back to the very beginning of my channel, Mm -hmm. I was, there was like some stuff going on in my life that like, I didn't Mm -hmm. really know how to process or deal with. And it's only kind of now, I mean, it's been a gradual process since then, but I really feel like it's only been now. And especially since I've been going to therapy that I've been really been able to process these things that have happened. And a lot of those things have nothing to do with making, they have nothing to do with creativity, but they have had a really big impact on it because they affect how I look at myself, how I act um my relationships and you know like how i come across on camera like the way i'm comfortable of just being and mm-hmm. i think doing that and i didn't go i didn't do a lot of sessions i think i did seven and then i didn't really feel a need for it anymore i might go back at some point but i like i don't i'm kind of like i don't know what i would talk about right now yeah. um but it's been it's been incredibly helpful like one specific thing i can point to is the fact of like, you probably hear people talk about it is like healing the inner child. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that I do um, require that sort of like childlike sense of play and wonder. And if I'm not tapping into that, it definitely has a concrete effect on my videos. And like, they're less mm-hmm. fun, they're less engaging. I think for a while I was, I had, I wasn't comfortable being like silly and I, I, I put seriousness sort of up on a pedestal, but I'm getting better at that. And I think just like quality of life as a whole, it's been really helpful. I think it's really interesting that you say that because so many makers that I talk to privately, not necessarily on podcast setting, but so many makers talk about being drawn to putting their work out on the internet because they were in a hard place or like going through something and it, it was an outlet. So it's really refreshing to hear you talk about it so frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, it, you sorry, you go. I don't want to talk over you. <laughs> no, I need to finish my thought in my yeah, head no. before I say it out loud. You, you <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also think I also just think the way that, you know, you portray yourself on camera and things like that, like it totally mirrors how you're feeling and things. And, and like for my content, and if I ever put something out, like I know exactly how I was feeling that day based on how I am. It's not necessarily how people guess per se, but um hundred and twenty seven thousand percent all those subtle things matter all the things you think you're hiding come through they come all through and every and, one of them and i and i think that some people know me on a personal level so they'll see them but where versus someone who doesn't maybe know me personally will be like oh you were so happy that day versus someone who might know me better would be like no you weren't like what's were wrong yeah off. i was like bro <laughs> give me a call Are you okay girl yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. and i i think because a lot of these things had basically lasted my entire life or at least yeah. like my teen years into university. I don't know if anyone would have pointed to it and said like, 
hey, is something wrong? I think I just hadn't. That was the norm. Yeah, yeah I hadn't become yeah. my full self yet. And I think I am, right. I am in the process of becoming my full self a little more. Yeah, I've taken I've taken a couple of emotional hits the last couple of weeks that, you know, and Brooke and I, Brooke has like become my pseudo therapist, but um, I, <laughs> I've taken a couple of emotional hits the last couple of weeks where it was just like the I, I'm OK, like I'm legitimately OK. I'm not just rationalizing, but I'm thinking like if I hadn't gone through all the work of therapy and like getting all the all this negative crap out of my head and kind of shifting my mindset and getting myself into a healthier place. I don't know that I would have been able to handle a lot of the stuff of the last couple of weeks the way I have. And I can actually feel myself handling them differently and going, dude, you never, I've, I think I've probably said it in a few conversations that we've had. I can't imagine handling some of the stuff that I've handled the way I handle it. And I, even that, even if you, even if that's all you get out of therapy, the ability to roll better with the crap as it flows toward you, even that is a major step that you can take that, you know, it may not fix your issues. It may not, you know, it's not going to fix everything around you, but what, what it does do. And my therapist always said this, she's only there to give me the tools, not to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, to and that's why when I when I, I always joke about, you know, she told me last June that I graduated therapy. She wasn't saying I'll never need therapy again. But what she's saying is that the things that affect me and the triggers that are bad for me and the things that are problematic for me, you now have the tools to deal with. And based on what we've discussed, you're dealing with them the correct way now. Mm-hmm. So you're on the right track. So maybe something else will come up later on the down the road and I will get in touch with her again and be like, hey. We need to kind of do a, a new set of things now, but yeah. therapy's wonderful. I, I anyone great. who mocks therapy is just because they haven't been through it. I really do feel that way. Probably not. Um, I have a question, Morley, and I don't know if this will resonate or not, but um, what is your relationship to caring how people perceive you with what you put out on the internet? I Ooh. love, I love asking people who do this professionally Ooh. or like as a big part of their life. I love asking them that. And how it's... has it changed too over time? <laughs> so a couple nights ago, have you guys seen the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix? Of course. Okay. Sorry. I'm a, so, I'm, know, a, I'm, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. You just Sorry. saw the difference between Brooke and I <laughs> illustrated. I'm like, no. And she's like, of course. <laughs> it's like, There you go. There it is. <laughs> so you know how she talks about how she was basically through her whole childhood. She put like her whole self value on like people clapping for her. Yeah. <laughs> So I can yep. understand. I can understand that. I don't mm-hmm. relate to it that heavily, but you know, when things when I put out something that does well, it makes me feel good, and when I put out something that doesn't do well, it makes me feel worse, and I start questioning myself way more in those times. Um, and you know, I think there's a lot that's wrong with social media because of it. It sort of engenders that. I'm I'm in the process of honestly like figuring out my relationship with social media because there, mm-hmm. I think there's parts of it that I'm like uncomfortable with. Oops. Sorry. I just hit my table. <laughs> um, it's but it's been with, with the punch clock video getting so many eyeballs, it's also gotten like a ton of comments and mm-hmm. a, a lot of them are negative because a lot of, well, they're not like negative towards me. It's mostly people saying like, I'm not valuing my time correctly because I say I 3d printed it for nine cents. They're like you're not valuing your time. You're not valuing your electricity costs. You're not valuing your printer's yeah. depreciation, which I guess is all technically accurate, Yeah. but you know, they have a tone of, of general negativity. There's a very well actually tone to that. <laughs> yeah. And I've gotten, 
a very few amount of comments that are like personal attacks. Mm -hmm. So like on like how I look or on how I speak. Um, And those ones, (laughs) those ones I actually don't mind very much. I will read them and then remove them because like it's Mm -hmm. not adding anything to the discourse. Um, there's no, there's no reason that those comments need to be on my video. And I think like the events that I mentioned that contributed to me going through therapy, a lot of them involved personal attacks and like people being very, very cruel to me. Mm. And I think going through all that has sort of like, it's just giving me experience dealing with that and being able to like, not care about it as much. I'm not going to let you put me back in that headspace. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot to be said for going through things like that, where you had so much like. I can speak to this personally. Like when, when you're just facing so much disapproval, it's like, dude, like you're not going to hurt my feelings. Trust me. It's fine. <laughs> there, <laughs> there, there is an armor that people can grow from going through, through things like that. Not that it's a good thing to go yeah. through. But. I think the hardest is when like people comment on the quality of the work and there's a part <laughs> of you that's like, you know, you might, my knee jerk reaction in those situations is to be defensive. Mm-hmm. And what I found is like, I just, I don't respond to those comments because like, text over the internet with a stranger is not the place to start like defending yourself or like defending your reputation yeah it's, yeah it's not it's not the place for me but there, there's there's nothing you're gonna say that's gonna make someone go oh wow thanks for clearing yeah. that up and you buddy. don't know like what that person's mindset is like if they're just gonna keep trying to poke you i've d- i've done it in the past i'm never doing it again yeah, and I, I think oftentimes someone else, some third party person will chime in and might offer a counterbalance without you needing to say it. Yeah. And that's so much more potent anyway. Yeah, that's been happening as my which has been great. It's like I'll see one of those comments and be like, I'm not gonna say anything. Someone else is gonna say is gonna <laughs> respond to it for me. And it's happened most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's um you know, I'm in this place right now, obviously, where like things are going really well. So obviously I'm going to have like uh, rose tinted glasses on about it all because when you're getting good things, like you feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I have have one more question for you. And again, this might not resonate. So if it doesn't just say pass and we'll move on and not care, but um, you went to school for engineering. Um, What is your relationship towards pursuing like personally, like for yourself and feeling at peace with yourself towards pursuing a more creative career? And what has that been like for you? It's, um, so I, uh, number for, to answer first, I feel very comfortable with the path that I have chosen to pursue, especially in the face, not in the face of, with um, studying engineering. Um, I think while I was studying engineering, I was really enjoying the things that I was learning. I was kind of passionate about it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I love learning and I was really good at it. I did like, I did extremely well in school yeah. and like, you know, that sort of played into the expectations around me sort of like pursuing engineering and yeah. And then, and then I think these past two years have been sort of like reconciling that and finding self-worth outside of like doing something where I already had established credentials Mm -hmm. within, but I feel like my engineering education has given me like so much. It's giving me like ways of problem solving. I mean, this one class that I took, called design mm-hmm. graphics where I learned yeah. how to use AutoCAD, which then led to me being a teaching <laughs> assistant, yeah. like has been so beneficial. Like yeah. just yeah. all those time spent um, 3D modeling. Um, and yeah, it's I think it's a, it's a good part of my experience, but I don't really see myself 
at least anytime soon going on to become yeah. an engineer, which in yeah. Canada is like a title. And I, I can't actually yeah. call myself an engineer <laughs> legally. Yeah. I, it's, I, the only reason I ask is because um, like I, I noticed some common threads in my life experience and what you've talked about where like I was always very good at school. I had a really easy time with it. And I know for me pursuing a more like I never saw creativity as something that was like a value that I had to offer. It was just this thing about my personality kind of thing growing up. And so I always pursued, like my, like I said, my, my degrees in finance and like STEM and like math and science was always my stuff. So shifting into pursuing something creatively as a profession takes a lot of bravery, I think. And it's important to like give yourself credit for that because I think it's not an easy thing to do. Thank you. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it was this huge shift because like as a child, creativity was a huge part of my childhood. Like I played music since I was like six years old. Um, I never was like really into art class, but I really enjoyed it. And I, there was like certain projects that I w got a lot out of. And there's a period mm -hmm. where I did some like art classes with my sister. And <laughs> when we, when we did the slam poetry unit in grade seven, <laughs> I got super into slam poetry for a little while. <laughs> and I would like compose these really angsty yeah. slam poems and perform them in front of my family about feeling like overscheduled with all these extracurriculars that I was doing. You so, tell them. I had a really well-rounded childhood. It just so happened yeah. that like interesting the thing I gravitated towards in the end of high school was like math and science and then mm -hmm. that continued to university, which is like, you know, that's the that's the common path with like the education system is like yeah. you sort of like as a young kid, and I'm saying like 16 as a young kid, you sort of like fall into a path and then you're some people sure. get locked into it, but you You're don't really have decision-making capabilities at that point. Yeah, it, it's, it's super true. And I was always raised with this mindset that like, well, you can do these things, so you should, because a lot of people couldn't if they wanted to. I don't know mm. if that's just ex exclusive to me or not. But anyway, I just find that interesting. There's definitely something to be said for doing things that you're good at. Yeah. And I think there, I've spent time on things that I wasn't as good at, but it took going through those experiences to like come back to figure out the things that I liked and was also good at. Yeah, for sure. And mm. I think, and I think it's awesome to, that you had a childhood where it was like, not that I didn't, but like, I think it's just acknowledging that creativity is a skill too, just as much as any of the other stuff is. And it's, it's just as much a value. Um, and so on. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That's a good. That's a good spot to transition on to our favorite part of the show. That's a drum roll. That's a very good drum roll. I'm, I'm I, very impressed. I never know how my sound effects are going to come across. Like in you're my head, in, in my head they sound great, but like you're the new Michael know, Winslow, yeah. and anyone who gets that reference is clearly my age. Um, <laughs> Morley, we always let our guests go first, and we are on. We have it on good authority from you that you picked the nerdiest possible thing of the week. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very curious to see what is your thing of the week this week. So I think like most people, this is this is purely a hypothesis, but I think it mm -hmm. has some legs. I have Ooh. this sort of like peripheral interest in birds and okay. gaining satisfaction in like identifying birds. Like I'm not a bird watcher, but it, okay. like birds are beautiful. And there's always someone who's like, oh, wait, I know what kind of bird that is. And you get the satisfaction if you can identify it correctly. Um and I was listening to the radio like a week ago and they mentioned this app called Merlin Bird ID because I've, <laughs> Do I'm, I have to tell you that I have it on my phone. No, way. <laughs> no I got to get it now too. So it's I downloaded amazing. it and it's so cool. So basically it's really cool. if you see a bird, you go into this app 
and you you just like answer a survey and so it's like what was the size of the bird what were its main colors where did you see it in the environment and where are you in the world and then it will give you a list of birds to scroll through and you can hear their songs and so that's cool in and of itself that it's this very intuitive tool for identifying birds but the other part of it is that you then like add it to a map so it has this sort of like collection part to it and it's this really satisfying like i saw this bird in this location you can add notes so i i did it for one bird and i was like heck yeah i'm this is gonna be a hobby for, for someone that says they're not a bird watcher you sound an awful lot like a bird watcher <laughs> i don't know bird watchers is like a whole thing in and of itself i'm not even gonna go there when when i moved to rockland county new york um I was not prepared for the sheer variety of birds I was going to see. So I got that app like right after I moved up there. And one of my favorite, one of my favorite uses of that app was I was, I was sitting in my office and I saw this big freaking bird sitting on a tree stump. Like, and I mean, he was huge. And I'm like, what in God's name is that? I said, and he had this red shock of hair. I'm like, clearly it's a woodpecker. Right. But it's like, I don't know. Like, is it like I'm not a bird guy? And I, I went through the app. Same thing. It's like, you know, where did you see it? How big is it? You know, where one of the weird questions I ask is like, was it flying in a tree or on the ground? And it's like, oh, OK, it was on the ground because I guess some birds don't really walk mm-hmm. around the ground or something. And it's like, OK, did it make this? Is this the sound? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the sound. That's the sound. And it's like, so yeah, satisfying. that's a fine. That's a pileated woodpecker. And I was like, now I knew that in my area, that's the woodpecker that shows up. And it's like, you feel so smart after you use the app. (laughs) I mean, we love putting things into categories as humans. We do. I I think like working at this like beautiful lodge in the Rockies is pretty much the main reason why I'm at at all interested in this because like there were every people who go there are like really into identifying the wildlife. We had no internet. So like I was going through all the local nature books. You'd be like, oh, that's a marmot. That's a moose. That's a, a beaver. There's, um, you know, whatever, jay and grizzly bears and all these amazing animals there. So it became like a very fun thing there. Um, yeah. Secondary thing of the week, though, just popped into my Ooh. head on the topic Ooh. of birds is a board game called Wingspan. Have you guys played that? No. Mm-hmm. I love okay. board games. It's, it's very, as uh, Will Ferrell would say, it's very hot right now. Okay. Um, and. Wingspan. It's, uh, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's basically a board game where like you have a bird sanctuary and you're like collecting birds and you get points by like the birds that you get and the choices that you decide to make. It's really fun. And there's like all these different ways that you can win. I don't know. Cool. That one sounds even nerdier than the first one. And that's not, a- <laughs> we went yeah, to like first one- two board game stores in Toronto and it was sold out at both of them. Oh. I love that your first one was your nerdy pick, and then you give us a bird sanctuary <laughs> a bird board game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sold on both. Yeah, I'll let nice. you know how we like them. I'll, right. I'll try the board game. Yeah, sure. And there's actually plenty of Amazon links for this one, and it's got five stars on Amazon, by the way. I just want to point that out. So that's, by the way, that alone is impressive. Like five stars on 7,700 reviews. So this is clearly a quality game. So it's a quality bird sanctuary board game. Nice. Yeah. And it says playtime is 40 to 70 minutes, which is also good because God, I, there's nothing more painful than playing a board game. Like I love Monopoly. I've never finished a game of Monopoly. What? 
We always in my in, Monopoly is an institution in our household. I love Monopoly, but, but it I, is in fact like a three-hour commitment sometimes. At least, yeah. At least I don't think I think my friends and I used to play because we used to like literally we'd go out at like twelve o'clock in the afternoon. We'd play it on someone's stoop, like we'd set up Monopoly and sit there on the stoop playing Monopoly, and we'd play it until the lights went out. Huh. And it's like, yep, we didn't finish the game today. All right, well, <laughs> try again. Try again uh, next time. Yeah, so Wingspan. Um, I'm going to actually have the link to that in the show notes because that's that's got to be one of the most unusual picks of the week and probably going to be right up there with Utz Cheese Balls as I, one of I, the weirdest picks of the week. I really like how specific it is. I really yeah. like well, that's, Yeah. That's also what I really like about your guys' show is that like you do these like – I feel like a lot of your things of the week are like physical products that are incredibly niche. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I got to think of like the random little <laughs> thing that I like. I love, I love niche stuff just in general. Like it's my favorite thing in the world. We, is- we were just having a conversation before, before we started recording, by the way, about our things of the weekend. I think it actually might not be a bad idea to open this up to the listeners. So we were wondering, we were, Brooke and I were musing about, you know, in general, our things of the week. And it's like, do you guys prefer maker related stuff or random? Do you just prefer random stuff, interesting stuff, whatever's holding Cause, our interest. Because half, half the time I'll sit here and I'll think of one that is legitimate, my, legitimately my thing of the week, but I won't say it because I'm thinking, well, the listeners won't care about that. But is yep. that is that the whole point, or do you guys prefer to hear yep. about stuff in the shop? Because I can stick to shop talk too if we need yeah. to. But although I, I I will say that the most feedback that we get on our things of the week are the rando like nothing to do with the yeah. shop, nothing to do with making type things which of course is why that's yeah. most of what i pick but because <laughs> i don't know any better but yeah no uh, it, send some feedback our way let us know what kind of things of the week you prefer because i i'm we're genuinely curious if yeah. you'd prefer us to stick to making related stuff we could totally do that but i think it's more fun to just be like human for a few minutes so. <laughs> speaking of humanity brooke now watch this. I'm going to I'm going to kneecap Brooke. So aside from the slab sale which is occurring this uh, week June 3rd and 4th at Makers Workshop in Maynard, Massachusetts. Yeah, selling salvage salvage Massachusetts lumber. You should come <laughs> and see me and Michael. We're so excited. We're And probably, Vincent on Saturday. Yeah, Vincent's coming on Saturday. We're pro- mm-hmm. we're going to have stickers, free, free stickers. If you come, you get a sticker. We have laser cut blanks. Yada yada. yada. Okay, I'll move on. Yep, I will <laughs> I will be there. Brooke will be there. Michael will be there. Yeah. So yeah. Besides, besides that, my thing of the week is a movie that I watched this weekend. And it was, I love movies. And this was one of easily possibly instant top five favorite movies I've ever seen ever. And it was Cyrano. Um, and it's, I don't know. I haven't heard anyone talking about it, which has me kind of disappointed because it was that good. Peter Dinklage is in it. He played Tyrion in Game of Thrones, but just in general, he's an exceptional actor. Um, And it's a musical, which I get isn't everyone's cup of tea. And if you listen to the soundtrack, it's not necessarily like a bop, like it's kind of heavy sounding, but it was like one of the best movies I've ever seen ever like it made me laugh it made me cry it made me ponder life and i don't cry that easy um it's just a really beautiful movie that genuinely moved me like fully moved me for two days after i watched it i was like listening to the soundtrack because i just needed to process it <laughs> cool yeah this so 85 percent from the critics and 86 percent from the audience on rotten tomatoes so the critics yeah. and the audience 
Love this at exactly the same rate. So apparently it's pretty good. It's very good. I would it the writing was just really, really, really good. Um I, I, additionally, I would kind of say it was like it was like a like a Disney movie almost, but in real life, blended with like Moulin Rouge, blended oh. with like a little bit of maybe like Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera. It was that type of thing. So if that's not your thing, you probably won't like it. But I was I loved it. All, okay. Everyone in my household loved it. It was really, really good. Oh, I mean, yeah, you you did recommend it to me. You did, did. recommend it to me this weekend. So. I'm so sure you're not going to watch it, though. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm not going to watch it either. But I, I take your I take your recommendations yeah. with the love that they're offered. Yeah. Um, but it's not my bag. <laughs> to- totally fine. Also, a plus choreography had like really good dancing in it, which I'm partial cool. to. So anyway. Yeah, you're you do love musical theater though. I you're, love it, musical theater. Not yeah, in so. a cheesy sense. I love like good musical theater. It needs okay. to be good. So much of it's just like fine. And I think that that's why musical theater gets a bad rep. But like mm-hmm. really good musical theater, you can't top it. That what will you say that will did be the like, hell I die on. Sorry. Yeah, go. Did go. you like La La Land? No. Okay. I did not like La La Land. <laughs> My girlfriend wow. also hated it, but I, I did not. I note. okay, okay. So I I understand why people liked La La Land, and I think that there was a lot of really cool references in it, and I think that the director did a phenomenal job. Like I can factually say, like factually, it is a great movie. I didn't like the message of it. The, the message of it yes. left me feeling yeah. icky and I didn't like that about it. Yeah, the choices that they made were weird. I have this like this is weird theory mm-hmm. that might be offensive, but I yeah. feel like men the I talk to like La La Land and women oh, don't like it. For interesting. I think that no actually that tracks with what I've, t- what I've seen. My, my husband did not like La La Land at all. Like he was okay. angry, like angry. That makes him sound insane. Like we watched it and he was like, I was like, I have so many thoughts about this. I just don't like the message, yada, yada, yada. So I guess he's the exception perhaps, mm. but I, I didn't love the message of it, but factually yeah. it was a good movie you know yeah i also so i when i watch things like i my suspension of disbelief is like right there with the movie i don't usually think a lot about like outside of the movie so i think when yeah. i was watching it i just really enjoyed like the the cinematic nature of it and like i just really bought into like all the romantic nature of it and yeah. then we left and eden's like it's exactly like you said she's like i have a lot of thoughts <laughs> yeah it was like it was like i have to I say like, really? something have no about this yeah yeah i know and i and i that's funny i actually think that's interesting that you mentioned la la land because i also feel like um there's been an influx in phenomenal movie musicals lately and i can rattle off my favorites and least favorites um but like there's some really great ones and i sort of feel like la la land started the wave so for that huh. reason, thank you, La La Land, because like we got the greatest showman. We got um, like in the Heights was like, you win, Lin Manuel, you win, and and there's so many just really great ones. So I'll give La La Land that. Okay, cool. So we learned we learned even more about Brooke today. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Brooke Brooke loves musical theater. I, I think do. you asked me a couple of weeks ago. I was like, do you like musical theater? And I go, well, I've never had a bad time at a show. But do I, would I say I love it? No, not really. Like, would I go out of my way to go to a show? No. If somebody said, Hey, I got a ticket. Do you want to go? I'd be like, yeah, I'll go. What's the, what's the best show you've ever seen? Um, I I've seen a lot of shows actually, but I think the best, I mean, I know it's kind of basic bitch stuff, but I really like the producers. Like I got the, I got that's like the movie, but that's like your favorite. Like that is like your top tier. Like nothing tops that. Well, I've I've been to a f- I haven't been to a whole ton, but okay. honestly, that was that was a that was a Christmas present tickets to the producers. 
And I just loved it. I loved, I, I, you know, I was singing the songs yeah. afterwards. Like I really, really enjoyed it, but yeah. Do you know, do you know why I think I like musical theater so much? And I'll get off this topic into your thing of the week <laughs> after this. I'm a pretty, like not much gets to me. Like I'm a pretty stoic person. Music destroys me. Like I can't mm. handle music. Like it just hits me in the gut. Hmm. Music and words like reading and like, in like lyrics and things like that. That's good to know. Then I'm done. Good to know. So if I ever want to make you cry, I should send you song. A, uh, send a you song. me singing. Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> maybe. But a that song, would probably yeah. make me cry too. That probably make anyone cry. To be honest with you. <laughs> but all right. Anyway. So um, yeah. So Cyrano with Peter Dinklage. I don't know how I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, but the thumbnail will be in the carousel on Thursday, so you'll get to see a picture of Peter Dinklage and Cyrano. Vincent's not going to watch it, but you should. Yeah, Vincent's definitely not going to watch it. Not even going to. Pre- I'm not going to even pretend. I, I, I am. I rem- am I marginally intrigued. Yes. You Will should. I watch it. Nah, probably not. I'm going to watch um, it again next weekend. Good. You can watch it. Good. You get the view in from me, and then the sh- then there's been two views per host. Deal. Um, we'll do an average. Okay. Um, my I have two things of the week too because I figured screw it. Everyone else <laughs> is doing two things of the week. I'm going to do two things of the week. So thing of the week number one was something I did this weekend. Um. And yesterday I did something I just do not do. And everyone that knows me knows I just do not do this. But I drove into New York City. What? Yes, I drove into the Nolita part of New York City because my good friend Dolly Raz was doing a pop-up shot at Les Mis, Les Mis, not to be confused with Les Mis, another bit of musical theater, um, (laughs) Les Mis in Nolita, and it was absolutely freaking fantastic. And what hit me right in the gut, you know, her and I were talking about, she goes, I'm so happy, you know, I'm doing the thing. She goes, I'm, I'm in New York City with my art and people are buying it. I'm doing the thing. Mm-hmm. There were people getting tattoos of her art there. Yeah. Like it was just, <laughs> it was mind boggling to me. And seeing all these people coming up to her and saying how that her art inspires them and how she inspires them. And it just, God, it just hit me right in the gut. Like, it's like, damn, this is the, these are the moments. Like, can you imagine being someone who is, you know, when, when we had Dahlia on, we talked a lot about how she appears on the surface to be this, you know, happy go lucky hippie girl. And she's absolutely not that Mm -hmm. she's a hardcore businesswoman, entrepreneur artist. And it's just, just talking to her and I could talk to her for hours. I just think she's one of the most wonderful human beings on the planet. And getting to hang out with her for a little while on um, yesterday was just awesome. And seeing the reaction of people when they see her and just, it was, I don't know. I mean, it didn't happen to me, but I was just as choked up as if it did. It was just awesome. To see. Did, you, it was did, you, did you get a blobfish tattooed on you? No, but I did get a blobfish. I did get a blobfish coaster. I got a set ah, of her slate coasters. I told, I told Dahlia she needs to make some temporary tattoos because... Those would be cool because people were getting like the people were getting her tattoos like Dolly's art. I totally get it. Like some people are tattoo people, but I don't have any tattoos and it's not like by design. It's just I've gotten to this age without them. So now I feel like it's like a streak. Yeah, I can't. I can't break the streak. This age, this age. You're so old. So old. (laughs) (laughs) So Dahlia, of course, is my one of my things of the week. I hate calling people things of the week, but she she'll understand if she ever listens to this. But the other, my other thing of the week, last week um, I got a new laptop, and oh baby, did I get a new laptop! Oh, 
Like I, so I get a new laptop about every five years and I just go bonkers when I get it. Like I don't, I don't skimp, you know, I, I throw a lot of money at it because I know that I'm going to use the hell out of it. And then when it's time to get rid of it, I want it to have some resale value. So I got the Microsoft Surface Laptop Studio, and it is a beast. It's an i a 12th gen i7, 512 hard drive, and 16 gigs of RAM um, with the with the slim pen, so I can do all my um, my design work a lot more easily. And this thing is just it's it's the perfect laptop. It, there's nothing except for the fact that it doesn't have a single USB A port on it, which I find annoying. Um, which means now I have to carry little adapters for all my stuff. But oh, it's it's just a monster. It's so powerful. And I, last week I edited the podcast on it. I was just sitting on the couch editing the podcast on it, and because I had a Surface Pro, loved it to death. But the Surface Pro is the worst laptop in history to put in your lap. Like it, it's not good for your lap because it's got that stupid kickstand and Holds up. this is a, this is a much more laptopy laptop. And then you can crack the screen in half and fold it down on itself to make it into a tablet. It's bonkers how beautiful this thing is. If, if I showed you this machine, you would wonder when Apple made it. That's how nicely made the hardware is. It's just a really beautiful piece of hardware that just works really, really well. So granted, all in, I was at twenty two hundred dollars for this thing, but I amortized that out over five years, so I'm okay with spending that much for now. And I know I'm going to get at least six hundred to a thousand when I sell it in five years and get something new. But this thing's a monster, so highly, highly. And I do believe, and somebody will probably argue with me, but I do believe that Microsoft does make the best Windows laptops. Period. The Surface line, the Surface laptop, the Surface um, laptop studio. I think they're just phenomenal pieces of hardware. Microsoft just does a really, really good job at, believe it or not, design, which never <laughs> thought I'd live to say those words. But you know what words I knew I was going to say? What words are those? We have some really cool people that support the show financially, and those people include Leanne and Nick from Hemlock and Hyde, Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Emily Joyce, Ed from Ed's Clocks and more, Rory from RLO Woodworks and DIY, Chris from Full Steam Designs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Debbie Haddock, Jerry Hyduke, Joey from JH Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis, Jacob Angiano of Maker Cuisine, Robert J. Keller, Scott from Dad It Yourself DIY, the one and only Grant Alexander, Tony Langer from Langerworks, Jacob from Other Dog Designs, Jake from Make With Jake, Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Justin Ofler of Bear Maked, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Adam Mackey of Maker Mackey and The Clamp Podcast. Morley may know him. Um, Kim and Garrett, Andrew Richard from Andrew Richard Makes, Kellen Hazlip of Kellen Makes, David from Southern Style DIY, Jeff the Weekend DIYer, Sean Walworth of the Proper Tools Podcast, Chris Raley of Route 9 Signs, who was on freaking Adam Savage's tested YouTube channel. Holy crap. Good job, Chris. It was, was amazing, sick. too. It was crazy watching him talking to Norm for like a half hour about his process. And I actually <laughs> learned about a new product and I messaged him immediately. Like, I need the link to that product immediately. So I'm about to try some really cool stuff with the Glowforge now. Yeah, he's a wealth uh, of knowledge. He <laughs> is. Um, Henry Davis from HT1 Metalworks. And of course, Austin Saunders, the high caliber craftsman. Thank you so much to everyone that supports the show financially. If that's not something you're able to do, we totally understand, but share the show, send us a review, um, do whatever you can to spread the show because more ears means more us. And I'm sure you want more us in your life. Also, 
we are since we're going to have Dave next week. Um, I don't know if we're going to do it next week, but then Brooke and I are probably going to do a Brooke and Vincent episode on July 5th because July 4th is another Monday and I'll be damned if I'm going to take the day off and then do this podcast. So we <laughs> might either record on the 5th or the 3rd. Not we'll, sure yet. We'll, but, we'll um, figure it out. Yeah, we're not recording on July 4th. We're taking we're showing our independence from the podcast. But one <laughs> of the ideas that we're batting around Instead of just doing a Q&A episode, we'd still have questions left over from the last one. I have so but, many questions left over from the last one. But I was also thinking on the record. we could do listener things of the week. And this was, Ooh. by the way, this was, Keith, this was Keith Drennan's idea from Blackthorn Concepts. And I like this idea of doing like a listener thing of the week type segment. And How would that work? Like, would they pop in themselves? Yeah. So we'd get them okay. to record audio or something like that. Or, or here's another thought. We would maybe add listener things of the week. One listener thing of the week every week. Oh, maybe. And just pick that, one that, that could be like interesting. And, yeah. So we're batting around that idea. Let us send us feedback on that if you like that idea. And if you don't, just send it to Blackthorn Concepts on Instagram. Tell me he's an idiot. That's yeah. fine too. Because um, <laughs> it was his idea, and I'm just throwing him completely under the bus. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Open up Instagram to a bunch of DMs that just say your idea stunk. Yeah, just a whole bunch of message requests. Like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, we used to like the guys at Because We Make. Like, what's going on? Um, yeah, Morley, it has been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. I mean, it's not like you're a, mi- a million miles away for us, but it's kind of cool that. So I did. I did the research while you were talking. The last time you were on was April twenty second of twenty twenty. So right after pan- pandemic hell started mm-hmm. and it was episode 44. So if people want to go back and listen to that episode and hear old Morley versus new Morley. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. You were on, we did a Q and a episode right before you came on and they were like, it was like the Morley Q and a episode. Cause like we hardly got any questions, Ethan and I, and it was just like Morley sent like four questions and they were all good. It's like, well, I guess we're just going to answer Morley questions. <laughs> and then after we were done, we're like, you know, we should just have Morley on the podcast. Like it would just be so much easier. So, you know, it's great. been, it's been really good catching up with you. It's, it's also been really cool seeing the massive success of clamp. You guys are, absolutely crushing it um, it's cool seeing that podcast still going it's i feel a definite kinship to you guys over there and it's it's just really nice seeing you guys just every week just banging them out banging them out and it's always an interesting listen so we, thank you congratulations you on guys. that you're a podcast pros you, you got a yes. good ship here we do it's <sighs> it's a good ship that's very hard to turn it's it's a very big ship and it's going in one direction and you know how long it takes to turn a ship around so <laughs> Just this is where we're going. <laughs> Look, it's an iceberg. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> this ship can. This ship is indestructible. It's fine. <laughs> what a, what a somber tone to leave the podcast on today. <laughs> we always limp to the finish line, just like we do every week. So um, we'll have all of Morley's links for Clamp, for Into the Spotlight, for his fabulous YouTube channel, his Instagram, and I don't know. Do you do anything else that I'm missing? Do you do TikTok at all, or? No, I don't. It, I'm not. Uh, it's not my best. Wouldn't think it would choice. fit your. Yeah, I, <laughs> I wish I was good at it, but I'm not. Dude, nah. well, never mind. 
No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us how good you are at it. Tick, TikTok, <laughs> man. I get so many views on TikTok. I'm like, why am I bothering with any other platform? Yeah. I mean, and you're good at the short form vert- vertical content. It's just, it's not my I, jam. I know, but I just don't like, I don't feel as proud of it, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, we're, like, totally. we're, we're like, I look at that and I'm like, this is an unhealthy habit that this is like... <laughs> Versus, versus like if i make a youtube video that i'm really proud of i'm like that was me working hard you know mm-hmm. anyway I know all right mean. that's so, a whole that's a whole other tangent that we shouldn't even start so yeah morley morley doesn't have tiktok so i do know oh no i do i'm places. just bad at it, it exists, <laughs> yeah. so you can follow me there if you want just follow yeah, me on YouTube I'll, I'll go i'll go follow you on tiktok and youtube and i'll like everything okay Thank <laughs> you're one of those famous like bombs uh. um that is going to do it this week. Next week is episode 150 again, which means it is a David Swiduck episode. So, I mean, I don't even have to worry about pre-announcing that one. If you've been following this show for any length of time, you know that it's a Dave Swiduck episode, something Dean Duplantis calls a crutch. Don't think I don't listen, Dean. I hear everything. Um, but that's going to do it for this week. And we really appreciate you listening. And have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.